Welcome to Hunter Gatherers, the podcast of Hunter S. Thompson stories, broadcasting from our studios in Historic Magazine Street, New Orleans. And I am Christopher Tidmore in the Crescent City, but joining us is the main host of this program, Curtis Robinson, in the wilds of Coast of Maine, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that is true. Although, coming up, we'll be we'll be reunited and uh, recording live from uh, the Garden District in NOLA. I cannot wait. But for today, we look forward to a big week for other reasons, right? Yes. So this is a landmark day for Hunter enthusiasts and fans. It is something. It is a day that Hunter himself absolutely hated. It is his birthday. <laughs> yes. Yes. He was not a big fan of. Uh, at least when I met him, you know, I met I met Hunter in '94 or so. And in fact, if uh, for people who have seen the the, I tell people this all the time. If you've seen the the nineteen ninety three interview with Keith Richards, that's the hunter that that I met. I even remember the shirt that he wears in that interview. But that's that's sort of the hunter I met. But he was not uh, he was not much of that. I, I once the best gift I ever got for Hunter, I think, was a birthday gift. Although it might have been a Christmas gift, I, but I think it was a birthday gift. And it was um, I had to go to Great Links. I got I found a um, high school letterman's jacket, one of the old school leather sleeve jackets from uh, Louisville Mill High School, which is where really? he he. Uh, in fact, <laughs> I was going to say that's where he graduated, but I'm not sure he did graduate. He was in jail during graduation. <laughs> there, there was some controversy over, uh, you know, and uh, I guess that's a different story for a different day. But, yeah, July 18th, 1937. You know, you think about that. I mean, uh, you know, he was he was on Earth during World War II. Hunter comes into what's called not the Depression era generation, but the interwar, the war generation, and which ironically doesn't start when the war. It starts in about 36. But basically people who came into their recognition as during the war and would have aged, say, during the Korean War. And, uh, you know, people forget that. He's, he's a little bit older than us. July 18th would actually mark... His 85th birthday, if I'm doing the math correctly. Yeah, yeah, he would he would have been 85. But you know, he was. It, it's interesting you would say that, that that he was a bit older because that was one of the things. You know, when he when he wrote the Vegas book, when he wrote Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, that was originally in two parts in Rolling Stone, and it was originally published under Raoul Duke, and there was there was an argument at the time that he should publish the book under Raoul Duke, and one of the reasons was is that you know he was in his 30s, so. For the Rolling Stone audience of that time, certainly not today, but of that time, uh, he was considered an old guy. You know, he was like, oh, my God, you're in your 30s. And um, that, I, I just think that's interesting to look back on that. So 85, you know, uh, it would have seemed old. And now, now it's, uh, it's that's, presidential. It's, posi it's positively presidential papabile. Um, <laughs> I mean, right. it's really like I, – and I kept thinking about that. I kept thinking about the famous sheriff's race. I kept thinking about – Hunter just getting totally fed up. And I, I actually dreamed of this, Curtis, that, you know, if if Hunter were alive today, and he never thought he'd live this long, obviously, hence that's part of his decision he made, but that was that he would say, get so frustrated at looking at Biden and Trump that Hunter Thompson might run as a third-party candidate. God, if only we had had that particular election. Well, there was always the thought that he would run for Senate in Colorado. Uh, when I was at the Aspen Daily News in the mid-'90s, 
that was widely speculated. There was uh, the the CNN uh, show Inside Politics was reporting that Hunter was considering, and he was considering a run. He was concerned about having to go to D.C. and actually vote on things. That was that was his. Uh, concern and you know they did they did some polling and he did not do badly even even if you go back to the 70s there's this part where he writes in campaign trail and i think it's part of it that's in the uh the shark hunt book where he's talking about running and then he runs into gary hart who and that's when gary hart is deciding to run and one of the reasons he did not run then was that gary hart was going to run so it, it's interesting that he was always uh, flirting with that. He thought Senate was the, the way to go. Some of that has to do with the fact that Aspen and Pitkin County, where he lived, is in a very strange congressional district. It's a, been a very conservative district because it contains parts of Colorado Springs area mm-hmm. that's actually on the front range. They have nothing in common culturally, or, or, or you can't even drive back and forth between them directly in the winter because the mountain road is closed. But he was looking at that. So at 85, you know, I think it's interesting. I talked to other people who, who knew Hunter. There was always the idea, you know, when he checked out at 67, you thought, well, you know, he might have made 70. Some people would have thought, well, 75. None of us none of us would have taken the over-under on 85, though, I will tell you that. <laughs> so, so we're not, you know, we're it's house money now. I don't, I don't think any of us would have said that. But he just, he did not like, uh, he did not like birthdays. He, um. I would tease him because, you know, I, I convinced him that we were probably distant cousins because his, his mother, Virginia Davidson Ray, was from uh, Springfield, Kentucky. That that was over closer to hill country where uh, where my people were from. And I was directly related to the Rays. So I, I convinced him we were distant cousins. Of course, he would say, you know, it's Kentucky, Curtis. We're, we're all distant That's cousins. cousins. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was I was thinking about birthday traditions with Hunter and... Uh, I, I thought I'd heard of them all, and then suddenly I hear this story. Actually, I, I started reading the story in the most secret place of all, you know, Vanity Fair. But uh, in it, it, Dakota Johnson is talking about Hunter Thompson coming to the house and seeing, and the, uh, and, and the relationship she had as a little girl with him. Her father, of course, Don Johnson, her mother, Melanie Griffith. Uh, Don was very close to Hunter. He was a, re- a good friend. They would come up. And she made a habit of something that would she she fully admits would have annoyed anybody would have annoyed Hunter with anyone else that she she would every time she saw him rub the bald spot in his head. So there's a famous birthday where comes in and she says Hunter Hunter and immediately goes to rub his bald spot and that became their their thing that that's uh, that was a birthday tradition. So whether this is apocryphal or not, I have no idea. But it was such an unHunter Thompson story that I had to tell it on the air. I, I, I I, I actually did a double take. I was like, are we talking about the same Hunter Thompson? Really? I mean, come on. But anyway, I'm going to make it a life goal to find out if that's true. I remember I can, I can verify part. I cannot verify that. That would have, well, you know, she's audacious. So she might've gotten away with it. I can, I can, I can, of course every, it's well documented that uh, Hunter and Don Johnson were friends. They weren't, they weren't barely friends. I mean, they were, they Very were good friends. friends. You know, Hunter, Hunter's credited as a co-creator of Nash Bridges. Don is, as often said that. And um, I think the original concept was that, that it was going to be off duty cops, which Hunter always felt off duty cops were the most dangerous thing on, on planet earth. But yeah, Don Johnson's a good friend and 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 neighbor, and uh, I got I got to hang out with them some, and you know it's you never know about celebrities. 
I don't think I really knew celebrities. I only knew celebrities when they were with Hunter Thompson. And I think that was a different version of themselves. But I got to tell you, the thing about Don Johnson that would surprise people is he's funny as hell. I mean, he's just freaking hilarious. And, you know, he's an actor, so you don't think of him as as, as being funny in, in a Hunter Thompson kind of level. But he was. I mean, he, he could be. DJ, as, as I call him behind his back, not to, probably to his face, everyone called him DJ, but uh, he could hold his own in every conceivable way he could hold his own. Oh. No, no easy task in the, in the hunter world, but, <laughs> but uh, birthdays, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, Kerouac is 100, when was that? March. March is the Kerouac 100th, the centennial of his birthday, and it just kind of cruised by. I think in the pandemic, I think I think the, that we would be marching and singing more, uh, except that we all tried to do that during the pandemic and everything got slapped down. So everyone's gun shy. You don't dare plan anything. I know. Um, I think there might be some celebrations at Al Farm uh, this week, but other than that, I've not I've not seen much. You know, when I was a kid, let's say young adult, of course, well before I met Hunter, we used to think that there should be a, a, a Hunter equivalent of Bloomsday. You know where. Oh, where that's people, that's people, good. Well, think about it. You know, in Bloomsday, a lot of towns kind of convert themselves to the Dublin of that era. And yeah. They have, you know, stand-ins for the different pubs, and then they sort of recreate the Dublin of their mind in their own towns. I'm like, well, you know, for us, we didn't have anything approaching Vegas, but we had Huntington, West Virginia, where they would sell you beer in a bar at 18, which was as decadent as it needed to get, right? Mm. So we we would plan the whole road trip and get Hawaiian shirts, and then we would we would do our version, our reenactment of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas on a very minute scale. But still, I've always thought that that would be a great thing to do for uh, for the Hunter equivalent of Bloom's Day. Well, I was also say is a celebration of Hunter's birthday. Curtis and I are going to do our own version of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. We're going to Tales of the Cocktail and doing the podcast from it three times while we're there in tribute to Hunter Thompson and people who knew him and bartenders who knew him well. I have to I have to admit that should be an interesting experience um, uh, to come through. That's in the next couple of shows. But I was looking at all this and I'm, I'm, I started thinking about Hunter's youth in Kentucky. And I want to ask a true Kentuckian this statement. So he is born in a place where you go from one county that's dry but makes alcohol to another county that if you can reach the top of the bar you're served alcohol. And yes, I, I think that <laughs> I, I grew up I grew up in one of the, Kentucky, Kentucky has 120 counties. I grew up in one of the ones that that was dry then and is dry now although one of the towns has since uh, uh, licensed beer sales I think I don't get back there much. But I think one of the things that Hunter and I used to talk about this all the time, and one of, one of the things that that he felt it showed at an early age is how arbitrary the laws are. Over there, across that imaginary line, men with guns will put you in jail in a cage for doing something that on this side of that imaginary line is encouraged and marketed. <laughs> and you see that now. Uh, I think you you see the marijuana prohibition. I'm sure he would make that connection in a heartbeat. You know, and it starts with, it starts the same way. They stop enforcing laws. You know, it's still a federal offense, but they stop it. It's an enforcement thing. And he he, he felt that, you know, it, it's a good training as in your youth to realize, you know, how much a, a thing of man laws are and how much uh, fairly arbitrary lines can make a world of difference. 
Well, I mean, we're about to get a real test on it. Frankly, everyone's talking about banning abortion. or We're basically, we got to get a test of what happens when counties decide in red states, blue counties decide we're not going to prosecute abortions, <laughs> no matter what state law says. When that happens, it's happening in New Orleans or other places in the country where it's happening. When that happens, it's, it's, it's a real test of what imaginary lines. I would have loved to have read something Hunter wrote about this, this sort of, not the controversy itself, but the idea that go across a line, you know, one side it's a murder and the other side it's a woman's health. It, it would have it would have made for an interesting, if provocative, column that everybody well, probably would have hated. So you, you can you begin with the Hunter Maxim. Uh, politics is the art of controlling your environment, and you know he uh, Pitkin County and Aspen in the days of uh, Hunter Thompson for sheriff and Bob Broadus as sheriff was a different place. The environment was controlled. And right now, marijuana might, might be a good thing. I mean, it's a federal offense. But even before you saw states legalizing it, some cities were saying, hey, we're just not going to prosecute that. Yeah. So, so at the end of the day, you you end up with the the states having the ability to, you know, to pass a law. But, you know, so what? You think uh, you think laws in uh, Austin are enforced the same as as they would be in El Paso in Texas? Uh, no. Not, forget forget Austin. Uh, Travis County laws are different than Williamson County, which is the immediate <laughs> suburb. I, I know because my best friend was a lawyer in Travis County, and now he's deputy district attorney of Williamson. And guess what? Very different worlds and very arbitrary line. Oh. Well, of course, of course. And, and all, all states are like that. I mean, the, the, the real – we see this as red state, blue state. But one of the things Hunter really understood in Colorado, in Colorado in the, in the, the 90s, was different. It was it was going uh, more progressive, but it was not. It would and Western Colorado was then and is now conservative. But he always saw it was a, essentially of, you know, he he understood that it was essentially rural versus urban. And places like Aspen, while they're very small, are very urban. One would one resisted as as. Christopher Hitchens would say, "Oh, please tell me you're going to resist the urge to say urbane." <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a. It's like that, but you know, it's yes. It would be interesting to see what he would write about it, but he would also say, you know, politics is the art of controlling your environment, and you know, I could get out there and, and control your environment. It would be, it, but it would be very interesting. And well, as he would say, also, we seem to have roamed far from our topic of well, birthdays. And I want to, I want to say, tell a birthday story for Hunter that he would have appreciated. So as some of the listeners know, I own a bookstore in New Orleans, the Garden District Bookshop, and there's a whole Hunter Thompson section, or at least there was. So you're saying, what do you mean there was? Well, I go into the bookstore on Friday, planning on pulling the Hunter books off the shelf and the other books about Hunter, uh, friend Matt's, so on and so forth, uh, and doing an arrangement, a birthday arrangement. And so I go look, and I realize that all we got left on the shelf is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And I'm about to fly into this rage saying, who sent back my Hunter books or this? So I go to the computer and said, all the books had sold in the last two weeks. No. (laughs) Shark Cunt, Fear and Loathing, 72. (laughs) You had a huge stockpile. That was like. Yeah, it was like, it was like, I had two of each, basically, of the the principal Hunter books. They all sold. And I I, I had one copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas left. And I was like, my God, what happened? And apparently a whole bunch of people came in asking. It was like three different people. Uh, You know, we're really interested. Want to buy Hunter Thompson stuff and start, want to read it over the summer. So I. 
that that is my birthday gift to Hunter fans and to Hunter's spirit, wherever it may be, that he, he sold out a section. Some what did you? I mean, you had everything. I mean, you you didn't have like Curse of Lono, but no, no. All, but I had I had Shark Hunt. I had you know uh, Fear and Loathing seventy two. I had um, I basically I, I had the, the main Hunter canon. If you will. So somebody walks somebody walks into Garden District Bookstore and they, they come up to you and they say, you know, I've got a friend. I'm going to give him a Hunter Thompson book and introduce him to Hunter Thompson. What would you recommend as, as a first book? As a bookstore professional, what what do you recommend? Do you I, recommend well, the big, well, first, book? well, first, I always ask. Tell me, tell me a little bit about your friend. What's what was the, if you know it, what was the last book you really enjoyed? What we get? What are his interests? If he's political, are they are they currently incarcerated or on probation? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, uh, I got. Yeah, good good point. If they're remotely political, it's going to be. Uh, it, usually, Shark Hunt is the is the best kind of uh, draw survey book of, about everything. If they're if they're if they're trying to hit the sort of gonzo idea, of course, it's going to be the Vegas book. But if they're political, I mean, it's going to be what we've spent a year talking about. It's uh, Fear and Loathing in the Campaign Trail 72. It depends. It's, it's more of a person thing because, I mean, you and I have talked about this. There's one Hunter Thompson, but there's the, what, what, there's the public, what some people perceive of Hunter Thompson, which is this guy writing it, um, Rum Diary, something along those lines. And there's the political Hunter Thompson. And there's it's 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 almost it's not two separate fan bases, but it's almost a separate fan base in a, in a strange sort of way. So yeah, yeah, people in Washington in, in D.C. people people there find it amusing that the political writer Hunter Thompson wrote other stuff. You know, it's 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 like it's like finding out that P.J. O'Rourke wrote poetry or something. Yeah. Like, oh, that's interesting. Why, why would he? Uh, it's good. It's good that he had a hobby. I hope he made some money doing it. But, <laughs> it's like, uh, but they are not. But they are not distracted from the political writing. And, and you know, and I've come to fall back in love with uh, Fear and Loathing, uh, the Campaign Trail 72 book. It's uh People have started to say, yeah, Curtis's favorite Hunter book is whichever one he's reading now. Uh, but then that may that may very well be. I mean, I, I the only problem I have with Shark Hunt is that it's big. I mean, yeah. the great thing about Vegas is you can carry it around like you can those Kerouac books. You know, put it in your back pocket. pocket and just sort of. And, and it, I, I like to say that um, that Fear and Loathing in in, uh, in Las Vegas is what. Um, Count of Monte Cristo was to some people. It's the book they pull out and they read like three paragraphs at one point over and over and over, and they carry it around with them. Say like, oh, when I'm traveling, I, when I'm traveling, I, I, I carry it around like the kids carry these vape cartridges. I just take it out every now and then, get a good hit, put it back. <laughs> On that note, I cannot think of a better way to end a Hunter Thompson birthday special than that quote, Curtis. Well, Robinson. you know, it, it, it is. It's 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 good. Eighty five. Is, is would have been quite an accomplishment. Although we should note that at six, I think sixty-seven, two thousand five, the suicide note did say, "Act your age. This won't hurt." <laughs> Epitaphs. Oh, now there's, there's, well, there's, there's, there's a note. I, mean, I hope no, I hope no one is listening to this on the edge. Yeah, no. Uh, the, the, there's a new suicide hotline, nine eight eight. Just, just remember that, please, folks. They'll talk yeah. you down on that note. Yes. Yes. Curtis Robinson, we will see you in a week in New Orleans in the Garden District and at Tales of the Cocktail. Tales of the Cocktail. I'm going to give my story about how I sometimes slink off and uh, drink with my heroes alone. When, with, 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 when it's Hunter, 
the drink of the official drink, of course, is Chivas Rocks. But, uh, you know, I still go a little bit with the bourbon, particularly the old tur- the, the wild turkey. Well, we're going to be toasting. I know we're, you and I are doing a live broadcast from um, uh, the uh, International Jazz Museum with Penelope Bourbon. So, you know, that's that's how we're raising our glasses to Hunter's 85th birthday. So anyway. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm lapsing back to, to our roots of bourbon. You know, I was I was in charge of introducing him to to new bourbons uh, and 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 did so regularly. I was I was his bourbon caddy. Ugh, incredible. Well, Curtis, uh, we will see you next week. And this has been a wonderful edition of Hunter Gatherers, a special birthday, 85th birthday edition of Hunter Gatherers, yeah. the official Hunter S. Thompson story. Yeah. Happy birthday, Hunter. See you next week. <laughs>